Welcome to CRE Success, the podcast, where we help people working in commercial real estate achieve their professional goals. Check us out online at CREsuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now here's your host, Darren Krakowiak. Hey, welcome back to CRE Success, the podcast. We're up to episode 17 in season two. My name is Darren Krakowiak and my special guest today is Theo Capodistrius. Theo is a keynote speaker, a trainer and an advisor. He set up his own personal brand about 18 months ago. He's from Tasmania in Australia. And we're going to be talking about how to improve your communication skills, how to become a better presenter. You'll definitely improve if you listen to what Theo has to say. We'll speak to Theo in just a moment. Before we do that, I is for improve in the A to Z of CRE prospecting. If you'd like to get your hands on 26 great ideas to help you with prospecting, including the letter I, and really the point about improving is the more that you do something, the better you'll get, unless of course you're doing it wrong. And if you are doing it wrong, well then get someone to give you some ideas on how you can improve by getting constructive feedback. That's just one idea in the A to Z of CRE prospecting. If you'd like to grab it, go to CREsuccess.co forward slash ABC. We'll speak to Theo in just 30 seconds. 90% of the world's data was generated in the last two years. Credia is a business intelligence and analytics tool for commercial real estate professionals. Using real-time insights, track key portfolio metrics and benchmark against the market so you can make faster and well-informed decisions. With live dashboards and bespoke reporting, impress both your executive team and your property clients. It's time to turn data into your most valuable asset with Credia from Released. And now it's time for the interview on CRE Success, the podcast. Theo, welcome to CRE Success, the podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Well, the first thing we do in all of our interviews on this podcast is step into the virtual elevator and we hear our guests give us their elevator pitch. So Theo, who are you? Well, I am Theo. I am the general counsel of a global technology company and I run a little side hustle where I help people uh, simplify their communications to amplify their message. And in my side business, I'm a keynote speaker, trainer and an advisor. And you're based in Hobart. And based in Hobart, absolutely. Wow, we have one member from Hobart, which I think means we've got a pretty good level of market penetration in that city, given I don't know how many commercial real estate professionals there are in Hobart. But for those listeners who don't know Australia well, um, just tell us a little bit about Tasmania and Hobart. Sure. So Tasmania is, uh, I guess, a little island at the bottom of Australia. And um, it's we I guess we're known as like the natural state. So it's very clean and green. Uh, we've got some of the cleanest air in all of the world, which is pretty amazing. Uh, Hobart is the capital and everyone calls it like a big town. So a pretty small place of about, um, you know, 250,000 people in Hobart. And I think all of Tasmania, there's about 500,000 people. It's, yeah, it's amazing. It's one of the oldest cities in Australia. I think it's the second oldest capital city. Um, and it's really just, yeah, like a, a, a big little town, basically. Like it's by the river, nestled in between like the like a big mountain and the river, basically. And, you know, lots of hills and wildlife here. It's, it's pretty cool. It's a place to be. I reckon it's probably one of the most unique cities in all of Australia. Beautiful. And when did the Capodistrius clan move to Tasmania? <laughs> um, so my grandparents first moved here. Uh, it would have been 
probably the 60s. Um, so they, they are the Karamalis family. And then um, my dad moved down here, would have been in the 80s um, when he married my mum. So, yeah, wow. then, uh, then um, I popped up in 1990. <laughs> awesome. Well, look, let's talk about your side hustle, which is the speaking practice. You started that in 2020 when the future of live events was under a huge cloud. Why were you motivated to start up a side hustle as a speaker? Awesome question. So I had been, I guess, doing the speaking thing for a little while um, at legal events and other conferences. And for me, I just, you know, I, I loved it. So I was speaking, I was getting asked to speak all over the place. I was speaking in New Zealand, um, you know, other cities in Australia, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, all of that. And I was getting like, free flights and accommodation to speak at all of these events. And I thought, I really love this. And I thought this is something I could probably make like do, do professionally and get you know paid for it. I'd love to, you know, embrace and doing more of this because I just find it so fun. Um, and with that, I thought, you know, I've got my own message to share. I don't need to, I don't need to follow and speak on legal related things. I can kind of do my own thing because I've got my own thought leadership and my own ideas and my own work that I've done, which I think is an important message for other people to hear. So I was planning it at the end of 2019. I thought, yep, this is my strategy. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and then in the summer of 2020, it would have been January, I was putting together my website um, and, you know, all, all my materials blissfully unaware of what was going on in China at the time. Blissfully unaware. I had no idea what was going on. And, um, you know, I, I gained, I was feeling a bit nervous, you know, a bit of the, the imposter syndrome thing, um, you know, between then and actually launching the website and going public to say, I'm charging for this now. And, um, yeah, gained the confidence in March, the beginning of March. I said, yep, I'm going to put it out there. Let's do it. Here I am. I'm a speaker. You can hire me for your event. And it would have been probably the week after that, the world went in lockdown. And that's when the whole COVID-19 thing became apparent that it wasn't going away anytime soon. I think in those early days of 2020, it was just something you heard a bit on the news and it was just, oh, you know, it'll, it'll go away. It's probably going to be like swine flu. It'll pop up for a little bit, but then it'll disappear. Um, it became a thing, didn't it? Became a thing, the whole thing. <laughs> Still a thing now. <laughs> it is, it is. Um, well, you know, I was thinking about your business and obviously, you know, you're not just doing speaking. There's some other parts which we'll talk about as well. Mm. Um, but with international travel in Australia, it's Fortress Australia, right? So people can hardly fly out and very limited opportunities for people to come into Australia. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, does that mean that there's more opportunities for a speaker who is based in Australia because there's less overseas competition? Or does that mean that there's less opportunity for your business overall because you can't travel overseas? What's the net effect of um, the speaking business for somebody who's based in Australia? It's pretty interesting because now there are global opportunities available. So everyone's kind of on a level playing field of, you know what, I can speak at your event and you don't need to pay me to uh, like be there. Um, as in, you don't need to pay for my flights and accommodation. I get to just log in on a Zoom call mm. uh, or Microsoft Teams or whatever, you know, virtual platform a conference organizer wants to use. Um, the only thing would be, you know, the, the time difference. But, you know, if you're happy to get up at 3 a.m. and um, look half decent and speak to an audience which you can't actually see, then I, I see no problem with that. And, you know, there are the opportunities out there. I think they're hard to find. Um, 
you really know where to look or who to talk to. But um, as a speaker, you can definitely get out there and find those opportunities to present at events and conferences and companies um, from the comfort of your own home, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, look, I understand one of the things that you are able to provide a keynote speech on is the topic of communication and specifically simplifying language to amplify your message. And I think that's a really relevant topic for our listeners because communication is such an important skill, not only in the marketing and sales process, but also in the service delivery phase. So I'm wondering if you can give me one or two exercises that people can do to simplify their message. Awesome question. I think there's a few things. One of the most important things to do is think about who your audience is. So what does that, like, what does that audience want to hear? What does that other person want to hear? And why is it relevant to them? So with that in mind, that will help guide exactly how much you say, what you need to tell them and what it is that they need to hear. Because you could tell people all sorts of things, but depending on who it is, it's not going to necessarily be completely relevant. So I guess that's one of the, you know, impeccably important guiding principles. The other is understanding how to use plain English. If you want to reach people in a way that will, you know, touch them for them to understand, for them to action something, speaking in a language which is understood by anyone and everyone is going to be one of the most important ways that you can really simplify that language to amplify your message. And, you know, it really is about speaking in a language that other people can understand. I think there's some really great, you know, tools out there as well to check, you know, the, the level of, um, like the readability of like something you're doing. Um, mm. if it's a piece of written work, you can, you know, check it online to see, all right, well, what grade level is this? Uh, and a great grade level is probably grade nine. Um, you know, imagine reading something to someone who's 15 years old. Will they be able to understand it? That's sort of the the level you want. Uh, and I found that a lot of, you know, a lot of my technical legal stuff is at quite an advanced level. And I thought, well, that's that's not, that's not useful for, for my people. If I want to present something in a way that you know, they can understand and embrace and do something with, I need to present it in a way that is basic, but also clear enough for them to really action and do something with. So bringing that readability level down is going to be really critical as well. So you're talking about reading or speaking, uh, sorry, written word or spoken word or both when you're giving that advice, say at the ninth grade level? It's really both. So I think you can really perfect it initially with your written work to think, all right, so one of the things that I would put in writing that is going to be easy for someone to pick up, read and understand an action. But once you understand the written format of it, you can then translate that into your spoken word. So you're more likely to speak in a plainer English when you're um, communicating verbally anyway, mm. um, because you're more likely to think like that. It's easier, it's quicker. Um, and when you write, you tend to, you tend to think about it a bit harder and you want to make it sound a bit nicer and fancier. So you do end up putting, you know, some of those longer technical pieces in there. Um, but I guess from a, a starting principle to help uh, and practically as well to really nail that, that sort of idea of simplifying your communication and your language is to commence with a written piece of work and strip it down 
and then with that you'll be able to you'll be guided in terms of how you can speak that and verbally present that to other people as well and one thing i've heard when you're writing is that you want to read it out aloud and make sure it sounds natural when you read it out aloud so it doesn't come across as too i don't know pontificating when someone else is reading it is that a relevant tip as well that's a great tip yeah one of the things i tell people to do particularly if they want to sound more authentic in how they present and how they speak or write in that way is to record something and have it transcribed mm. so that's a that's a really easy way to just um you know speak uh, to write in a way that you actually speak um so if you can use something like i don't know otter ai that's a handy tool yep um for example, uh, you can speak into that app and then it just writes out everything as if you um, were saying it verbatim. It's funny. It was, it, it's like the opposite of what I, the way I learned it, but it's the same outcome. And in some ways it might be more efficient because you're just saying it as you would say it and then you get the words on the page. So yeah. it's a good tip. Um, let's talk about presentation skills. This is one that I've covered for our members. I believe, you know, in the importance of preparation and practicing and making sure you've got all the tech and the logistics covered on the day and having a strong close. And I think presenting is an interesting one because some people are naturally good at it, but everyone can attain a higher level of competency because it's a skill that you can improve. So what is a key message that you try and get across about the skill of presenting? I always think one of the most important things is when you're presenting, you are going to feel the nervousness. You are going to feel fear, but that is something you can embrace. I think no matter what level of, um, you know, skill level you have, even if you are a very advanced speaker or presenter, you're always going to feel a bit of anxiousness, a bit of nerves, but that's something you can embrace and you can take with you to like power you to actually present well. Um, you know, there are, there are heaps of techniques out there as well to calm yourself down if you are feeling really uncomfortably nervous. Something I tell people about is box breathing. Um, so breathing in for four seconds, holding for four seconds, breathing out for four seconds, holding for four seconds. Doing that on in rotation uh, will help calm you down. And that's going to be, you know, that's a really important thing. So you feel confident to get up on stage and to speak or, you know, virtual stage, if that's, you know, where you're presenting. Um, the other is don't think of your presentation as a presentation. Your presentation is a conversation. It sounds a bit more natural when you present, when you speak in a way that it, you know, it really is as if you are speaking with people in a room or, you know, one-on-one -on -one with someone rather than, you know, getting up there and thinking that it's a whole dramatic piece. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting how people treat a, you know, a, a zoom or a, you know, corporate presentation on stage completely differently than they would a conversation. And of course you do have to speak slower. You have to articulate your words better, but ultimately you are having a discussion with people. Um, and I think that's, that's just a different way of looking at the presentation rather than thinking, Oh, you know, it has to be hundred percent perfect. It is, it is just a, it's a bit of a chat, but it's just done in a bit of a different way. Great tip. Great tip. Um, you also offer workshops on the topic of negotiation and you've got one, I guess it's a, a, something that people can 
go to you and ask for, which is be a kick-ass negotiator is the name of the, is that a, a workshop or is that a speech? That's a workshop. So I love that title, by the way. I mean, it sounds like something that, um, and with the greatest respect that, you know, Donald Trump might've ghostwritten in the nineties or um, it, it, because it's such a strong title, right. And the importance of having a strong title is, is a really great hook and be a kick-ass negotiator. You know exactly what you're going to get if you go and do that workshop. (laughs) Well, that's, that's the hope, right? So I guess as part of what I do, I do, so I do the keynote speaking. I also do training and workshops. Um, so I've converted a lot of my keynotes into a workshop format, but some are, are better as just workshops. And one of them is my how to be a kick-ass negotiator. And why I thought this would be relevant, I guess, from both my perspective as a lawyer. So um, I'm a, you know, I'm the general counsel for a global technology company. I negotiate all the time. But negotiation is a form of communication, once again. When you are in a negotiation similar to a presentation, it's a conversation. It's how how can you speak to these other people about this situation to really get your point across, but also understand where they're coming from. So it's embracing some of these really critical skills in communication of listening to what the other, you know, the other party is saying, being able to communicate back what's important to you, but also uh acknowledging what you've heard from the other side and i give examples of really awesome negotiators out there who you don't think are actually a negotiator and one of those people is oprah winfrey if you've watched her in interviews she has this amazing ability to ask questions and gain information from other people and those are just her interviewing skills but it's, it's what you need to do in a negotiation. You need to ask those questions to then elicit information, which then you can use because you now understand the other side's perspective a little bit better as to what their issue is or what's important to them. And asking those questions, embracing that conversation, uh, it's really going to help anyone kind of resolve that conflict. And it's, it's, it's quite interesting to see people you know, at the beginning of that workshop and then at the end to say, oh, you know what, I've now got a better idea of how to approach a negotiation, how to um, present myself in a negotiation and what I should do and shouldn't do to get the best result. So it's a bit of fun. I think I think it's, you know, slightly to the side of like my main message, but it, it kind of neatly blends in with um, what I'm trying to get out there in the world. So, yeah. No, I like that tip about um, well, the what you said about Oprah Winfrey, and I saw something recently that the way to increase your chances of getting what you want is just to provide a reason or to provide some context, or you know, in the way you're talking about it, there is sort of like framing a question, and people are more likely uh, like the way that I saw it was if you want to cut in front of someone in a line, if you go and say to somebody, "I want to cut in front of the line." they're not likely to let you do that. But if you give them a reason, any reason, they're more likely to let you do that because you're framing what it is that you want. So I think it's um, a really good tip. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Let's let's talk about personal branding now, because you've started up this business about a year and a half ago. Obviously you had some speaking uh, credentials because you were already doing speaking, but now you've launched this Theo cap brand and it's a personal brand, right? Because you haven't called it like I've mine is CRE success, even though it's pretty much me. Um, but I didn't call it Darren for um, commercial real estate. So why did you decide to set it up as a personal brand as opposed to a, a general company name brand? 
So I had, I guess, my own sort of name out there in the world. Um, I'm pretty well known in the legal space, kind of. I'm kind of well known in the Tasmanian space as well. So I thought, well, if people are, you know, already look at me, I thought this is something that, you know, I want to, you know, do for myself. Uh, I didn't want to put it under a different name. I thought for me, uh, I want people to, you know, come to me because they want to hear from me rather than like a specific sort of brand or a title. Yeah. So I've embraced, I guess, the speaking and the training and the advising modules as part of just my personal brand. Uh, and that is, you know, people can engage me to present this stuff and to help them with their communication issues. And that's something that, you know, is important to me on my social media as well. Um, I don't like to put myself in a box. I like to do a number of different things. I'm involved in a heap of different things and I kind of mix and match and blend everything together because it aligns with my values. And that's what's important in my personal brand. That is, you know, presenting stuff to the outer world that is important to me uh, through all of my various social media platforms um, and, yeah, presenting it in a way that says, you know, this aligns to what I'm doing because, you know, X, Y, Z. And doing all these things aligns with, I guess, my purpose for being, um, which is, you know, to support other people, to, you know, provide a service, to, um, you know, help people with this goal. And, yeah, yeah, it's been pretty fun to, I guess, create this new sort of brand for myself, um, but also, you know, trying to, blend in and really justify all the things that I'm doing that kind of mesh with that together. And, you know, I guess with that, you know, I've taken on like a new endeavor recently, which is um, TEDx Hobart being the licensee for the TEDx event here in Hobart. And, you know, how does that align with everything that I do as well? So it's been really interesting to think about that and create something, something new just for myself. Awesome. I, I do want to get a little bit more information about TEDx, but before we move to that, just to sort of close the loop on social media. I know that you're active on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Clubhouse. What are some of the nuances that you've noticed between the different platforms when it comes to how you want to communicate with people who are on those platforms? Mm, it's pretty interesting that I guess the platforms have such a different market. So it's important to think about who do you want to reach because that's where the target market is for a particular thing. So for, I guess, my sort of my, my business, I, I thought, well, Instagram is good for reaching people in a younger demographic. So doing stuff such as reels um, or, you know, carousel sort of documents, which people can save and look at later with like hot tips and stuff like that is useful for um, that sort of younger demographic. Moving to other platforms such as LinkedIn, that's where I can promote some of my keynotes and, you know, the people in the conference and events world who are on there looking for people who are actually um, looking to engage people in that space. I've noticed on your Instagram, you, you share a bit of personal stuff as well. So where do you draw the line when it comes to sharing personal information? Because one thing I think some people struggle with is that they want to show a bit of themselves. They know that it's important as part of an overall, you know, building affinity with their audience, but they don't know what they should share when it comes to sharing personal. So do you have a, a strategy or something that you can share that can help people understand how they should show a bit of them personal selves on these platforms? 
I think it's important to ask yourself, you know, how much do you want to put out there in the world and what are you comfortable with other people seeing? Noting that anything you put out into the world is there forever. Mm. So are you going to put your really strong opinion about lockdowns or, um, you know, checking in or the COVID vaccine online for people to see later and think, oh, this person's a, you know, a nut job or I'm not comfortable with that. Or, you know, if you've gone through a relationship breakdown and you're sharing, you know, images and all of that from that thing, like, is that going to be a really good idea to actually, you know, share any of that information with the wider world? Probably not. Think about, it's thinking about, you know, that crafting that personal brand message to the wider world is essentially saying, this is what I want to put out for people to see. So if I'm doing personal stuff, it's generally me in my hometown with my friends or family or, you know, doing something which um, is kind of enjoyable and positive. Um, You know, I'll share pictures from, you know, destinations I've been to. Um, I might share pictures with friends or dinners or stuff like that. That's kind of just saying, hey, I'm a real person. So behind um, the speaking, behind the law stuff, behind the TEDx stuff, I'm actually a human who has a life. Uh, I'm quite social, quite the extrovert. So I think it's okay for people to, you know, see bits of the real you. Um, for me as well, because I've, I haven't created my, a, a separate Instagram for my business. I've kind of just meshed it into my own uh, Instagram because I've got a pretty good following. So I thought, well, I don't want to start from scratch because that'll be, you know, that's hard. That's hard work. Um, I could separate it, but it is me. So meshing my speaking with my real life, with my law stuff, all kind of works. It works from my perspective anyway for my personal brand. I mean, it's going to be different for everyone. If people are creating a completely separate brand and business, they might want to, you know, start from scratch. But for me, it works. For, For what I'm doing, it kind of works. In my view, anyway. Just quickly, Theo, because we're nearly out of time. What's your vision for the TEDx Hobart license that you hold? Ah, well, Dan, I'm very excited to bring TEDx back to Hobart. So we have not had a TEDx event here for seven years, I think. So when the opportunity came about to create a TEDx event, I thought, well, I've got to do it. So really, for me, it's a few things. It's about creating a community to share really brilliant ideas from my home with the wider world. What Ted is amazing at is putting people in the spotlight who don't ordinarily have the spotlight. So I get to work with amazing people doing amazing things in my home and I get to give them the spotlight to really communicate what they're doing and their value with, you know, a whole new audience a whole range of people who may have never heard about this amazing thing. The whole idea around TED is ideas worth spreading. So for me to be able to find people who are doing incredible things in the community, uh, thinking differently outside the box and have an idea that, you know, is worth sharing with the world and I can help them to amplify that message, then I absolutely will. TED and TEDx kind of aligns with a lot of what I'm doing in my business. And that is being able to grab someone's idea and present it 
and present their value in a way that it can be reached by a huge audience. It's about amplifying that message and TED really provides that opportunity. So I'm pretty excited to get to work with such awesome people. Um, I'm receiving submissions at the moment, um, although I haven't officially launched the submission portal, people are submitting their ideas through and I'm pretty pumped to know, to see what, you know, what's coming and what, you know, what people are thinking of. It's pretty great. Um, we've got a very cool community down here. Well, awesome. We look forward to seeing the launch and then the inevitable growth of the TEDx Hobart chapter. Um, Theo, if our listeners would like to find out more about your services and connect with your content, is theocap.com.au the best place to go? That is the best place to go, but people can also find me on LinkedIn, on Instagram at theocap88. Awesome. Theo, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being my guest on CRE Success, the podcast. No worries. Thank you very much. For more information about our guest, visit cresuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now a final thought from Darren Krakowiak. Thank you once again to Theo for being my guest. And also I'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you to Aiton. Aiton has left a review for us in Apple Podcasts. We've got five stars from Aiton. Thank you very much. He says, great podcasts. I always enjoy listening. Darren asks the right questions and the guests always provide insights into the industry. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate you taking the time to make that comment and to provide that rating. If you're enjoying CRE Success, the podcast, why not just leave us a quick review? Or if that sounds like too much work, just open the podcast player and click on the five-star button and that helps other people find this content. I do hope you're enjoying it. Thank you so much for listening and I will speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to CRE Success, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to leave us a five-star review. For more information about the show, just check the show notes on your podcast app or visit us online at cresuccess.co.